Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the review show for episode 40, Brexit on the Rocks. I'm Progress Deputy Editor Connor Pope, and I'm joined by our digital editor, Sam Bright. I went away on Saturday, just after the government's big Brexit checkers accord, uh, where Theresa May tied down her hard Brexiteer cabinet colleagues to a marginally more realistic starting position for the negotiations with the EU. Obviously, it seems faintly ridiculous that it took over a year after triggering Article 50 for the government to agree a starting point, but uh, I guess it was progress of sorts, I suppose. Now, like I said, I've been out of the country since then, but I presume what has happened since then is that Theresa May has done a few major interviews to promote the agreed stances, possibly a set-piece speech, and has utilised supportive quotes and the likes of um, the Foreign Secretary and the Brexit Secretary, who are both obviously big players in the Leave campaign. That would have put the Prime Minister in a strong position ahead of uh, the inflatable giant baby Donald Trump arriving in the UK to discuss post-Brexit trade this week. Is that roughly how it's planned out? Yeah, no, you've pretty much got that spot <laughs> yeah. on, Connor. Yeah. <laughs> All, you know, I'll, I'll be completely honest, I've not yet listened to the podcast from earlier in the week, so if that goes against any of that, then I have no idea. Yeah, I, I wouldn't listen to it now. You might be quite <laughs> shocked. <laughs> so what, what has happened? Just everything has happened, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've had to deal with all of it. <laughs> so obviously I've been following it a bit. So David Davis resigned late, late on Sunday night. Yeah. Presumably that was to miss the deadlines for the Monday for papers. The papers yeah. And from what I could tell, quite a, you know, an actually principled position, a terrible principle, but, you know, a principle nonetheless. Yeah. Um, and then Boris Johnson resigned the next day. Yeah. For, for not very principled reasons. No, the funny thing was that you might not have caught was that Boris Johnson was sort of submerged for a number of hours um, in his house missed various different very important meetings that you have when you're foreign secretary <laughs> which sort of built the speculation to a point where he really had to resign or else it would look even more embarrassing than yeah, him yeah. resigning okay. uh, in a classic boris fashion he then reappeared with like he'd just thrown a shirt on and brushed his hair i saw that he like press released he got a picture taken of him signing his own resignation letter and press released that which yeah. is pretty remarkable and certainly kind of suggests different sort of attitude 
to resigning. I mean, obviously, obviously, I love the fact that David Davis finally resi- resigned. It has been one of the great dramas of the summer for me, along with England's World Cup run. I think <laughs> David Davis <laughs> and his weekly threats to resign. Yeah. Um, and then some other people resigned. Yeah, yeah. Who? I had no idea. No, they, ben Bradley, the, the the guy who doesn't like chavs. Right, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he should, yeah, he should have been sacked ages. He should, yeah. yeah, like most of the people who've resigned. And then someone else. Ma- Maria like, Caulfield. That's it, yeah. They, apparently they were going to, the speculation was that one Brexiteer was going to resign from the cabinet every day. Um, or from the front bench, presumably, rather than the cabinet. Yeah, no, not sure. I don't know. I, I genuinely don't, I don't, don't know. That. Well, I don't it, know either. It, it, seems. it seems to have been a few days without resignation now. Yeah, well, they, they made an excuse that was, oh, Theresa May's out of the country, and so nobody else is going to resign for a while. And it's like, well, that, that sort of reduces the impact a bit, don't you think? Can you still send her an email? I'm sure she'd get it. <laughs> So obviously, it'd be really embarrassing if she got back to the country and re- didn't realise these people had resigned, but I don't think that's the way the world works. I saw one person resigned as a PPS to, uh, I can't remember to who, to, yeah, to, a, to a cabinet minister, and then sent his resignation letter to the prime minister, despite the fact that PPSs are not appointed by the prime minister. It would, like, it would be like if I resigned and then sent a letter of resignation to Theresa May. Yeah. It has nothing to do with her. She'd be like, why have you sent me this? <laughs> That would be really funny though. And then if you then posed uh, for a photograph. <laughs> As I did mention uh, about the Donald Trump visiting the UK, me and you will both be out on uh, the anti-Trump marches today, Friday. I think we'll be on the marches, but are we going to be meeting anywhere for the rally? Yeah, we'll be at, at two o'clock. We'll be in Parliament Square um, for the end of the women's march. So oh, if, if, you, if you're around, feel free to feel free to join yeah, us. So anyone, do drop us a message or Connor at progressonline.org.uk or Sam at progressonline.org.uk. Do let us know if you want to um, come and meet us there. Now, this might sound like a tenuous link, Mm. but I think it's really interesting that Trump is arriving this week because he obviously epitomizes some of the worst aspects of, of nationalism that we've seen you know, increasingly over the past decade or so, um, you know, the, the, the division, the hatred and the kind of retrospection, the backward looking focus of it all. Whereas the England football team, what has come out of that at this World Cup feels like a kind of progressive idea of patriotism uh, has emerged from it. Carl Walker, the defender who's from uh, Sheffield, not far from you, and he has um, a Jamaican father, like a lot of the squad has heritage from different countries and uh, is a kind of, you know, a product of immigration, as as it were. He tweeted yesterday that uh, we might live in a time where sometimes it's easier to be negative than positive or divide rather than unite. But England, let's keep this unity alive. I love you. I just wanted to get your idea. What what do you make of this this idea of the the English patriotism that seems to have emerged over the past few weeks? Yeah, Cal Walker MP. PM Southgate, yeah. MP Cal Walker. Yeah. No, I think they've uh, they've really been model professionals over this past few weeks, and I think they've actively, and not just Cal Walker in this quote, but Southgate has done it quite prominently. He's talked about unity, about bringing the country together after Brexit. Mm. They see that football can do a lot more than just um, 
make people uh, than just entertain people mm. it kind of has a wider significance and like you said the, 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 there's been a lot of talk on social media in particular a lot of positive talk about the, the diversity of the team i think delhi ali's uh, heritage is from nigeria mm. uh, you know raheem sterling we all know from um, from jamaica harry kane's family from ireland, from ireland i know yeah. that his uh, his cousin was appearing on good morning ireland during the world cup to talk about his and, and the England team's success, which I thought was particularly interesting. So I watched most of the games in London, but I watched one game in Bilbao with some expats. But they're expats who have lived there for a long time and very inter- integrated in their local community. They speak fluent Spanish and they're really opposed to Brexit because they're not sure what it means, especially because they're not sure what it means for their rights. But also it changes their kind of idea of the country back home. Mm-hmm. And usually they don't meet up to watch England games. But they did. They, you know, they asked a, a local bar to stay open during this siesta period on Saturday afternoon. We all met up there and watched the game. They think that there's something different about this team that makes them like them a lot more. Yeah. Like I say, I watched most of the games in London, but that was definitely felt like a thing in London as well. Was, you've watched a few games in different parts of the country. Is that something that yeah. is, it, is it existing across the country? Yeah, I'd say so. I think that, like you say, we want this team to win because we like them, mm. not ju- as, as people, as human beings, not just as football players. Mm. And I was at my sister's wedding last weekend, which meant that I uh, I missed the Sweden game, the, the one stress-free knockout <laughs> game of the competition. Yeah. But people were really trying to see how the team was doing. Mm. And there was a special announcement when the England team won. And oh, so great. people who, you know, not really football fanatics, yeah, yeah wanted to cheer this team on because they see them as a bit different and i think a bit less uh, a bit less of a, a macho team as well which mm. i think some people have have really identified with that they can they, they come across as relatable they don't seem arrogant or you know or your, your stereotypical footballer is, is portrayed in the daily mail for example mm. my partner was at a railway station on wednesday night and when england scored they did an announcement over the uh, the town and all the people on the platform cheered my mum was also on a train at the same time she she had it streaming on her ipad i think and people started kind of crowding around to watch the game which you know and it's really interesting that people who haven't necessarily taken the efforts to make sure that they're sat in front of a television somewhere to watch the game mm-hmm. are still actually taking an active interest in the success of the team i think that is particularly interesting yep. there's also a psychological aspect of this i think um which the gareth southgate has put a lot of effort to make sure the players enjoy the tournament and that there isn't the same amount of stress and try and relieve the anxiety of the big stage essentially this is the importance of mental health on a successful team isn't it and given the age of the squad the average age is 26 this is a kind of success for the millennials isn't it do you think do you think yeah, there's no, something in that no i think so i think i think i think definitely but i would say before before i comment further that we are kind of claiming this England team as mm. progressives. If they hadn't got to the semi-final, perhaps we wouldn't. <laughs> but I think big credit has to go to Danny Rose for this mm. um, because he came out before the tournament, did a couple of interviews where he talked very openly and honestly about the problems that he'd suffered, the mental health problems that yeah. he'd suffered as a footballer. And I think him being such a high-profile player, this will really open up conversations in local clubs, hopefully, yeah, yeah. about, you know, the ordinary everyday mental health problems that young people face. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually on that note, um, the top scorer in League Two this season is a guy called Billy Key, plays for Accrington Stanley, who won the league. And he started the season 
suffering from depression himself. He took a bit of time out of the squad. He went and worked on a family member's uh, bricklaying company for a few weeks and then only came back to work at the club when he felt that he could. And I think the team were very understanding about it and, you know, actually look at the success that he's had since yeah. then. And and it's important that he had that room and he's spoken very openly about it since. And it's a, it's a really incredible story. But it really does feel that actually in football, which is this very macho, mm-hmm. masculine culture, things are really starting to to change that. And I think that is a really important and possibly the biggest victory of this World Cup, actually, I think, yeah. is, is the culture. And I think one thing as well is that hopefully people will recognise as well within this conversation that not only can football create mental health problems in some circumstances, mm. but in a lot of others, it can help. You know, it is a way for people to relieve stress, relieve anxiety, and hopefully we'll, we will have a, a really wide-ranging public discussion in future about how it can help and how it you know, might be detrimental for some people. Absolutely. Right, we should probably try and wrap up, but first we've got the answer to the political pub quiz question. We have, yeah. So what, what question do you ask this week? I asked, uh, what was uh, Dominic Raab's favourite sandwich? Dominic Raab obviously being the new Brexit secretary. <laughs> and Alistair Harding got this To correct. be honest, if you'd asked who's the new Brexit secretary, I'm not sure I would have got that right. <laughs> Please that you spelled that out. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, you've, you've really got to wa- go yeah, listen gotta, to our got, podcast. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll catch up. <laughs> But uh, Alistair Harding uh, got the got the right answer. So it is a chicken Caesar and bacon baguette from Pret. Alistair actually made sure to tag Pret, <laughs> um, hoping maybe that they would verify that this is the case. Yeah, uh, and Donald and Rob, he he has that sandwich every day. Does he something like that? Yeah, he does. Yeah. Wow, that is that yeah. is remarkable. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's fine as the sandwiches go. But anyway, Alistair, do make sure the email office at progressonline.org.uk will stick a progress mug in the post for you and to all of our listeners do remember to send in any comments and questions to that email address do leave a review rate and subscribe on itunes so that other people can find this podcast too we'll be back on tuesday thanks for listening You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast with Connor Pope and Richard Angel. The music is When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And this episode was produced by Carolyn Crampton. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.